Welcome to a Heritage Christian Centre podcast. For more information, visit www.heritagecc.com.au. We hope this message blesses your life. Good morning, church. I'd just like to welcome everyone here this morning. Pastor Errol and Sue send you their love. They're just on leave at the moment, so they've asked me to bring the message. And um, the last couple of weeks, Pastor Errol's been preaching a series on the names of Christ and how each name reveals another facet to the character of God. And it's a powerful theme. Last week he preached on Jesus being the living water and uh, the week before that he was talking about how Jesus was the light of the world. This morning we're going to look at how Jesus said, I am the door. When you hear some of those other names, they, uh, they sound like um, they're, they're really inspirational. Um, living water, light of the world, bread of life, they, uh, they, they sound like they should be on a, um, an inspirational meme that's being posted on uh, Instagram or on Facebook with a, a nice scenic backdrop and fancy font lettering. But what do, you, what do you think of when you hear the door? It, it doesn't quite have the same effect, does it? What comes to mind when you hear the phrase, the door? One thing that came to my mind was, like having kids, is knock-knock jokes. But don't worry, we're not going to do any knock-knock jokes this morning. When, when you think of that phrase, the door, what comes to mind if you think of movies or popular culture? or uh, popular novels. Maybe, uh, maybe you think of um, the fact that there actually was plenty of room on that door for the two people in the movie Titanic. <laughs> Come on, Rose. She could have shoved over a bit, just saying. <laughs> or if you've got kids, maybe you're thinking of the, uh, the Pixar movie Monsters, Inc., I know our kids watched that movie many times with all the doors that connect to different places and different locations all over the world with Mike Wazowski and Sully. Or maybe you're thinking of C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia series and how the kids in those novels walked through those wardrobe doors into their adventure and it opened up a whole new world of possibilities. Well, this morning, that's my prayer for you, is that we can unpack these uh, scriptures and that it can open up a whole new world of possibilities that perhaps you've never considered. But before we get to that, as Brenda was saying, we've still got our primary school-aged kids in the service, so I thought it would be fun to include them and to have a little bit of an object lesson. Who likes an object lesson? So uh, in... Our passage today is John chapter uh, 10, verse 9, and it says that Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So we've got this piece of paper here. And I've made a little door. 
Isn't that clever? <laughs> now, Jesus said that you had to enter through the door. How am I going to do that? My head's a bit big to get through there without ripping it. But there is a way that we can do it. And as is often the case with the things of God, sometimes things look impossible or you can't quite see the solution and you, you can't see how you're going to get through your situation. But when Jesus is in your life, when he is your door, he can make a way where there seems to be no way. He can find a solution that you haven't considered. He can sustain you and uphold you through the most trialling of situations. And when that allows you to get through the door without ripping it. So that's the little object lesson for the kids today. (laughs) Hope you enjoyed that, kids. So there's three things that I want to bring out of this text this morning for us. The first point is introduction. We're going to see Jesus introduce himself to the Pharisees. The second point is invitation. We're going to see Jesus standing before these religious leaders, giving an invitation. And the last point we're going to see is illumination. Introduction, invitation, illumination. Because when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, when we experience his salvation, it opens our eyes and illuminates us to the promises that Jesus gives us as we enter through that door. But before we jump into the text this morning, I just want to give you a little bit of background as to what was happening in the Gospel of John uh, leading, leading up to the, the passage that we're going to look at. We just rewind a bit to chapter 8. There's a dialogue that Jesus is having with uh, two groups of people. There was the the Jews who were believing in him and following Jesus. And then we've got the Jews who did not follow him and they didn't believe him and they were a, a bit aggro towards him. Jesus says in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, if you, are, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. This dialogue stirs up some of the conflict with the Jews that didn't believe in Jesus. And they look at Jesus and they might have said, well, what do you mean? The truth will set us free. When we're not held captive, um, We're not in bondage to anyone. We're the Jews. Our father is God and we come by Father Abraham. So Jesus addressed them in verse uh, 42 to 45. And he, he full on puts it on the line. He says, if God were your father, you would love me. You are of your father, the devil. Just imagine what's going on in the hearts of these religious leaders. Jesus had just called them out. He'd he'd said, you are indeed following your father, but it's not Abraham and it's not Yahweh. You're following your father, the devil. 
And then just right after that, later on in uh, chapter 8, Jesus says to them, before Abraham was, I am. Now, what he's referring to there is one of the earliest known names of God that was revealed to the Hebrews. And it dates right back to when Moses was standing in front of the burning bush. And he was talking to God and he asked God what his name was. And God just simply responded, I am. So by Jesus saying, I am, he was making himself equal with God. And the the Pharisees absolutely hated this. They just peeked right out and went off the scale. They just thought that was so blasphemous. So then we transition to chapter 9 where Jesus encounters a blind man. Now this blind man had been blind since birth. His whole life he had been blind and sitting on the street uh, begging his, his living. Jesus heals this man and when he heals this blind man, the city goes crazy. It just goes absolutely nuts. So much so that this man... He's, he's taken to the Pharisees and because people are saying, how is it that this blind man, who we've known his whole life, how is it that he can see? And so the, the Pharisees um, ask this man, how is it that you can see? And he testifies. He just tells the truth. He says, a man by the name of Jesus healed me. And the Pharisees got quite upset. Firstly, they're they're angry that this blind man has been healed, which to me is is astounding. You know, like this guy's been blind his whole life and he he gets a healing and they're upset. Really? So they're upset. They're angry that this man's been healed. But not only are they angry that he's been healed, they're upset that it was Jesus Christ who healed him specifically. They're so upset that the blind man testified that Jesus had healed him that they actually cut him off. They excommunicated him. The Bible says that he was cast out. He was no longer part of the Jewish religious community because he had testified as to what God had done in his life. So it it gives us um, an insight into the character of these Jewish religious leaders and They were so angry because Jesus had done something uh, to heal this guy, but um, they weren't happy because Jesus was calling them out on on their corruption. So this brings us up to chapter 10. In verses 1 through to 5 of John chapter 10, we see this dialogue that Jesus brings up. And he he, he talks about... um, He gives us a picture of the sheep and the shepherd. He says, I'm the shepherd of the flock of God. And that the shepherd knows all of his sheep individually by name, among other sheep who are not of the flock of God. And then he will say, if you enter in by any other way, you are thieves and robbers. And what he was actually saying was that the Pharisees were like thieves and robbers. And that brings us up to our text this morning that I want to focus on. John chapter 10, verses 7 to 9. Then Jesus said to them again, Assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me 
are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So verse 7 starts off, and what Jesus is again repeating is this imagery of sheep and shepherd. He stands before the religious leaders with this tone that is pretty bold. And he's saying, look, truly, truly, I say to you that I am the door. When I was reading this, I could just imagine him saying, look, I know that you're angry with me because I've called you out and said that you follow your father, the devil. Excuse me, but in light of the rage that I've, I've just healed this man, you're so angry about it, this blind man, in light of all of that, let me introduce myself. I am the door. He was introducing himself. This is the first point, introduction. Jesus is the door. So why is it that Jesus would communicate to these religious leaders that he is the door? Well, let's think about it in context. The Pharisees, these religious leaders, um, they were following followers of the law, followers of the old covenant. They were doers and workers of the law, finding their life and their identity and their um, satisfaction in following the ways of the Torah. And anyone else that didn't live up to their standard, they, they saw as lesser than them. These Pharisees would actually see themselves under the old covenant as doors of a type, as gatekeepers to righteousness. They would make intercession happen for others to come into a relationship with God. And you see this term door, was, it wasn't that unusual in the Jewish community. Many Jews would see themselves entering into heaven by way of the door. The imagery of the door is also, um, it also fits in with the themes of shepherd and sheep. In, uh, in Israel, there were two different types of sheepfolds or sheep pens. One was a kind of uh, public sheepfold that was found in the cities and the villages. It would be large enough to hold several flocks of sheep. And uh, this sheep pen would be in the care of a porter or a gatekeeper. And it would be their duty to guard the door to the sheep pen during the night and to admit the shepherds in the morning. And then the shepherds would call their sheep and each of which knew the shepherd's voice and so they would lead them out to pasture. See, Middle Eastern shepherds, they don't drive their sheep before them with sheepdogs and uh, that sort of thing like we do here in Australia. They actually lead their sheep and they know each of their sheep individually. So even if there's two flocks and they get mixed up all together, the shepherd leads, leads them away and calls them and they follow the voice of their shepherd. The second type of sheep pen was in the countryside where the shepherds would take their flocks in good weather. This type of sheep pen was nothing more than a, a rough circle of rocks piled into a wall 
with a small open space to enter. And through it, the shepherd would drive the sheep at nightfall. I think we've got a couple of uh, photos there to show you. Of There's a bit of a sheep uh, fold, and you can see the, the gap there. So because there wasn't a, a gate, the shepherd would sit in that gap, and um, that's where he would, he would sleep. He would stop the sheep... Um, he would keep the sheep in at night and he would stop any wild animals uh, coming in by lying across the opening. He would sleep there and in that case, he literally became the door to the sheep. So when Jesus was talking about sheep and shepherd and he said, I am the door, these people would really understand the terminology of what he was talking about. So Jesus steps onto the scene and he says, let, let me explain to you who I am. Remember in chapter 9 that the, the Pharisees, upon hearing that this blind man was healed, they didn't celebrate. They were asked, all they did was ask the question, why? What, why has this happened? Why was he healed? How was he healed? But to give you even more context, that blind man was one of their sheep. Under the old covenant, they were types of shepherds over the people. God had given them authority to watch over his people and to care for them, but they weren't acting as shepherds. He was one of their sheep, but they didn't celebrate the fact that he'd been healed. Jesus talks in one of the Gospels about how when one of the sheep uh, is lost, he leaves the 99 and he goes after the one. When, once he's found it, he comes home and he, he rejoices. But these religious leaders, they didn't rejoice when this one sheep came home and said, hey, I've been healed. I've been blind my whole life. But now I can see. They didn't celebrate with him. What did they do? They kicked him out, said, sorry, you're not welcome here anymore. These Pharisees dismissed the man because he testified to the healing power of Jesus Christ. So these religious leaders cared more about their own power than the power of God. They cared more about their own glory than the glory of God. They cared more about their own control than the sovereignty of God. They cared more about their systems than the means by which Jesus would call all men to himself through the gospel. So Jesus reintroduces himself to these Pharisees and he says, wait, wait, I'm the door. In my very frame there is love. In my very frame there is grace. In Ephesians 2, 5 and 6, it says, by grace you've been saved. I'm the door. In my very frame there is mercy. Ephesians 2, 4 says, but God who is rich in mercy. I'm the door. In my frame there is redemption. Colossians 1, 14 says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. What Jesus was saying to these religious leaders, to these Pharisees, 
is this, and don't miss it, that he was the only way to God. Jesus Christ is the only way into a relationship with God. Jesus Christ is the only way to life eternal. Jesus Christ is the only way that we can be forgiven of our sins. And anybody that tells you that there is another way to to be accepted into God's family is a thief and a robber. It's the only way. Jesus was predicting something that would happen 10 chapters later on in the Gospel of John. And that is that on the cross, Jesus Christ would hang upon the tree, absorbing the wrath of God due for us sinners. He would die on that cross. And after dying on the cross, he would then rise from the grave, conquering sin, death and the devil, opening up the door that we could enter through him into a relationship with a holy, righteous, loving, gracious, merciful, forgiving God. Jesus Christ is the door. He's not just a door. He's not just another option. He's the door. So these Pharisees, they were consumed in themselves by their own power, by their own glory, by their own systems and their own will. They missed the King of glory standing right before them. They missed him. The one who was full of mercy, the one who was full of grace, who was full of forgiveness. The Pharisees, in their arrogance and their pride, they missed the King of glory. When we miss Jesus the door, We continue to walk in darkness. We continue to walk in lies, in false hope. But when we go through that door, Christ the door is life. Christ the door is hope. Christ the door is a relationship with a holy and righteous God. And here's the proof that the Pharisees completely missed Christ the door right in front of them. Jesus goes on to say in verse 9, Right after he says, I'm the door, he says, if anyone enters by me. This conditional clause gives reference to the fact that the Pharisees were not of the flock of God. They were not in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And so Jesus would tell them, if anyone enters by me. Jesus is standing before them with an invitation That's my second point, invitation. The first point was introduction. He he said to the Pharisees boldly, I am the door. The second point was invitation. If anyone enters by me, but the Pharisees miss him. Even though he invites them, he misses them. They miss him. It's easy for us to look back now and say, oh, silly Pharisees, how could they miss him? Dumb Pharisees, stupid Pharisees, right? How could they miss the one who brings redemption, who who brings forgiveness? How could they not see the king of glory? And yet are we so different today? 
here's our reality this morning. Many, many of us right now in this place are just like the Pharisees. What keeps us from entering in to the door of Jesus Christ? What doors are before us that present themselves as giving life? But in the end, only offer death. Some of us might not struggle with works like the Pharisees did. Some of us might not find our righteousness in what we do for God. But some of us might be enticed to enter into other false doors, other, other idols. What are some of these other doors that we might wrestle with? What about the idol of perfection? Oh, I've got to, got to be as good as I can. I've got to be as, everything's got to be perfect. Everything's got to be right. I'll be satisfied if I can just pursue this and find perfection. What about the door of power? Looking for and striving for authority, for control. Everything always has to fit in with the way that I want it to fit. Everything has to go the way that I want it to go. What about the door of success? Never content, always striving for that next benchmark. What about the idol... What about the, the doorway of having a spouse? Your identity and who you are, where you find your life, striving for that idea of having a family. Is that doorway your wife, your husband, your girlfriend, your boyfriend? The doorway of your children? That my life is my children, my identity is who I am as a mother or as a father? What about the doorway of beauty, chasing after what the world would define as beauty, not resting in the ideas that each one of us is made in the image of God? What about the idol of intellect, that my life is consumed with what I know? I always have to know more. You've got to... Have knowledge for knowledge's sake. It's another doorway. And they all sound good on the surface. And some of these things are good things. But when we put them up on a pedestal and we start to worship them, they make horrible gods. They will never save. They have no power. They will never bring redemption. They will never get us into a relationship with God. They will not bring eternal life. And they will not satisfy. They fail us every single time. So Jesus in this text, he brings out about two different types of people, two different types of sheep. The first sheep are those sheep that are cared for and saved by Jesus. The second group are the sheep that is consumed by sin and darkness. I love how he mentions this concept of sheep. You know, Jesus, Jesus said that uh, we're all sheep. And if you know anything about sheep, sheep are dumb. <laughs> sheep are dumb animals. They need help. They need guidance. They need a shepherd to look after them. They, they'll run off a cliff thinking that there's a pool there or... 
if there's a wolf in the mist coming in to attack them, they won't defend themselves or try and get away. They just stand there and get slaughtered. They need guidance. They absolutely need a saviour. And it's the same with us, friends. We're just like sheep. People are so dumb sometimes. I know in my life I've been dumb. How many times do you hear of people who've just gone along with the crowd and did what everybody else did, even though they knew it was the wrong decision? They've been like sheep. There's a lot of parallels. We need guidance. We need help. Friends, we need a saviour. And apart from Jesus Christ, we're destined to to death. What group do you find yourself in this morning? What group are you in? Do you find yourself saved and cared for by Jesus Christ? Or do you find yourself consumed by sin and darkness? Now, if you've answered yes to the this question. Yes, I've entered into the door of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Praise God that you've entered in and you're forgiven. My brother and my sister, you have hope. You have freedom. You have relationship with God. And in this context of what we're studying today, it should bring about a sense of remembering that sweet invitation that you and I have walked through as a believer in Jesus Christ. And that should bring about a sense of rejoicing. But let me just ask you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, don't just write this message off for the unbelievers. Don't just think to yourself, oh, well, I've I've had a salvation experience. This message doesn't apply to me. Because there may be some false doors that you still wrestle with. There may be some things that you identify with that are not rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we have an opportunity as believers to confess our sins before the Lord and to seek forgiveness because we have been forgiven. And the awesome thing is that we can find his comfort. We can find his peace and his rest. That We can draw near to a loving and gracious heavenly father and find comfort. The good news is the gospel of Jesus, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is hope. In the midst of the darkness, in the midst of death, there is hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because we've come through that door of Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you've said, no, no, I haven't. I haven't come through that door. My life is plagued by sin and darkness. Well, if that's you today. There's a sweet invitation for you, an invitation to freedom, an invitation to hope, an invitation to life eternally, an invitation to come to Jesus. Here's the awesome thing about coming to Jesus. The chains that enslave us, the sin that consumes us, the addictions that plague us, the death that invades us, the fear that overwhelms us. None of that stuff can go through the door. It can't come through the door with us. So when we go through that door, we leave all that behind. So if you're here this morning and you're not in a relationship with Jesus Christ, we're going to give you an opportunity this morning for for you to respond, to come to Jesus. 
And we pray that something will happen, that Jesus will make the promises that we, we have when we come to him, illuminating your heart. This is the third point. And if I can just ask the musicians and singers to come, we'll bring this to a close. The third point is illumination. When we do come to salvation and we walk through that door, Jesus gives us promises. He states, he says, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He will go in and out and find pasture. The first promise that Jesus gives us as we enter into the door is salvation. He promises salvation. Romans 5, 8 and 9 says, But God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Since we've been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Upon the gift of salvation, our eyes are opened. To sin and darkness we are set free from the bondages of sin, death and the devil. When we walk through that door, we can dwell with Jesus. We can run with him. We can be like him. We can be free. We can have hope. We can have a father who loves us and sent his son to die for us. The second promise is this that we will go in and out and find pasture. What does this mean? To go in and out and find pasture. What it means is that God promises that we will have provision in Jesus Christ. We will be provided for through Jesus Christ. We will be nourished in Him. We will be satisfied in Him. All our needs will be supplied by Christ. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will supply all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. Friends, that's free. The shepherd knows us individually to supply every single need that we have. Maybe it's a need of comfort. Maybe it's a need of truth. Whatever your need may be, the Father promises that He will supply that need through Jesus Christ. And He says that the sheep will find pasture. Well, what does it mean when Jesus says, find pasture? This actually links back with an earlier passage found in the Old Testament book of Ezekiel. Because this whole theme of sheep and shepherd was well ingrained into the Jewish people. In Ezekiel 34, 25 to 31, it says, I will make a covenant of peace with them and rid the land of savage beasts so that you may live in the wilderness and sleep in the forests of safety. I will make them and the places surrounding my hill a blessing. I will send down showers in season. There will be showers of blessing." The trees will yield their fruit and the ground will yield its crops. The people will secure in their land. They will know that I am the Lord 
when I break the bars of their yoke and rescue them from the hands of those that enslaved them. They will no longer be plundered by the nations, nor will wild animals devour them. They will live in safety. No one will make them afraid. I will provide for them a land renowned for its crops. They will no longer be victims of famine in the land or bear the scorn of the nations. Then they will know that I, the Lord their God, am with them and that they, the Israelites, are my people, declares the Sovereign Lord. For you are my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Sovereign Lord. We've got some powerful promises, church. When we enter through that door, it's a covenant of peace that was inaugurated at the coming of Jesus Christ. He will send showers of blessing. Your trees will yield their fruit. He will break the bars of your yoke and rescue you from the hands of those that were enslaved. When we enter into the salvation that's available through Jesus, we enter into a covenant with the Lord, a covenant of peace. The Lord's peace is with us. The Lord's peace is near us. And friends, there are so many reasons why we need that peace of Jesus Christ. The peace of Christ reconciles us back to God. The peace of Christ reconciles us to one another. The peace of Christ follows us through every season of life, through seasons of devastation, through seasons of despair, through seasons of death and mourning. The peace of Christ will sustain us. So friends, there's really just two doors. They might be disguised as different things, but there's a door to life and there's a door to death. Where do you find yourself today? Entering into the door of Jesus Christ as we enter into the light of Christ, as we are satisfied with His living waters that bring refreshing Or are you still before a door of death and can't see a way forward? I just want to challenge you this morning. Don't miss the King of glory standing before you, offering an invitation, offering those promises to illuminate your eyes, offering that covenant of peace. Let's pray. Father, you're our good Father. You're slow to anger but abounding in steadfast love. We thank you, Lord, that you have made a way possible through your Son, Jesus Christ, that we could enter through the door to be saved, that on the cross of Jesus Christ, our sins hung with Jesus, Thank you, God, that your wrath was absorbed in that very moment when Jesus died on the cross.
God, we thank You that Jesus rose from the grave victoriously, conquering sin, death and the devil so that we could have walked through that door of Christ and stand in victory in our own lives over, vic- over sin, death and the devil. Father, we rejoice over that. Lord, I just pray for those that are here this morning or those that are watching online who've not entered through that door. May today be the day of their salvation, Lord. May today be their day of redemption. May today be their day of restoration. Father, we pray, move even more among us, Lord. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. By the power of your Holy Spirit. Church, we're just going to give you an opportunity. If you're here this morning and you want to respond, I'm going to pray a salvation prayer. And I'm going to ask us all to repeat it after me. So that you can know what it is to enter through that door and to experience the salvation of God in your life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, please forgive me for my sin. Thank you, Lord, that you have made a way. I come through the door of Jesus Christ this morning. I ask you to be my Lord and Saviour. Please illuminate my heart. Open my eyes to the promises of your word. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.